This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Master Brewers Bookstore, where you can find must-have titles like the Practical Handbook for the Specialty Brewer, Beer Packaging, Conference Proceedings, and more. Visit mbaa.com store to build your brewing library and make better beer. One of the most corrosive things that you can do in a quality program is have a rule that you break. But if their internal reaction is, well, we just clear it all the time, and then then you don't even know about it because they just cleared it on their own volition, and you don't know that this is building into the system. That, that will end a quality program really quickly. This week on the show, we're back for part two of Quality Systems, with Gary Nicholas. Let's talk about turning data into useful information. And I know you got you HACCP and QMS folks love to use highway analogies. So make sure you explain all the highway signs, rumble strips, guardrails, and ditches. All right. So that's, I mean, that, that I, I just like that, you know, just from getting people to, to wrap their heads around this, you know, no, you don't want to be in the ditch. If you're driving down the road, you don't want to be in the ditch. That's out of specification. Um, but I don't want to get even close to the ditch. So I think of rumble strips as you're moving, you just get that light little chatter. That to me is a control limit. That's that internal message to yourself that like, Hey, you know, I'm not in the middle of my lane. That's, you know, being in the middle of my lane is my target, but I'm nowhere near a guardrail but I can tell I'm hitting on the shoulder of the road. So we need to self-correct internally. Car's never going to notice the difference. Customer's never going to notice the difference. Government's never going to notice the difference. But I did, and I'm going to get myself back to the middle of the lane. The guardrail is the boundary of what's in spec or what's not. Uh, if you're bumping that guardrail, you're bumping up against the spec. If you're on the other side of the guardrail, you're now in the ditch and you can't drive. The car doesn't go anywhere. So being able to decide where those points are, that matters. And that's size independent for a brewery. Making that decision doesn't... Knowing where you need to be is something that you're thinking about up front. And this is a thought exercise. I mean, the biggest thing of a quality program, it's less about the measurements. It's The biggest piece is the actual exercise of thinking through what we want to have happen, how we're going to make that happen, and what we're going to do when it doesn't, that's the biggest value to any program. And that's something that is, it's, yes, it takes time, but it doesn't take equipment. You know, the equipment just becomes the tool to get there. It's how you're going to measure it. But knowing where you're going, that's the, that's the huge piece. Because without that, data is just data. Yeah, and you're you're never gonna you're never gonna just accidentally end up where you need to be. So, 
Okay, great. Well, nobody's looking for a, a stats lesson here on the Master Brewers podcast, but maybe you should talk briefly about errors and kind of having confidence in the results of your data analysis. Again, this comes, or at least in my mind, this is one of those areas where you're just thinking about awareness. You need to be thinking of, you know, if I have a negative micro result, is that sample error? Uh, could it be on with your measuring things, equipment sensitivity? How often are you sampling? Is that giving you a representative look at what's happening in a fermentation or during a package run? Uh, if you're only looking at first can, last can seamer, there's a big chunk of that run that you have no visibility into if something went wrong. Uh, calibration expired reagents is something that I've experienced. Methylene blue doesn't last forever. Uh, so if you're starting to get strange results, or they're not just strange, they just don't change much because you don't expect them to change much, it's important to just pay attention to, it's not going to tell you what you think it's going to tell you if it's expired. Let's talk about responding when bad news comes out of your process. Walk us through things like corrective actions, reaction plans, holds, and quarantines. Certainly. So there, you know, things are going to go wrong in a brewery. They just do. So corrective action is just a real time, uh, you know, it's, it's a real time piece. So if you're doing a titration, for example, of your uh, CIP solution or a sanitizer, if it's, you know, off by a little bit, you're either going to add a little bit more water or you're going to add a little bit more chemical concentrate and then retest. That's a corrective action. It is doing things in real time to make sure that it's matching what's in your SOP or if it's your master sanitation schedule, just making sure what is an operator. That is an operator level piece. The reaction plan's a little bit bigger than that. And I think it's really important to do that contingency planning because Cas problems cascade. The, you are not the only person being affected by a problem if it lasts too long. So my favorite example of this is a glycol failure. You know, so if you have a glycol issue, you couldn't chill it down enough to carbonate it. Your packaging team, they shouldn't find out that they don't have packageable beer when they walk in that next morning. You know, that's something that we would wanted to communicate a little bit more broadly. But it's also important who else needs to know, because if it's going to affect packaging, it's going to affect the seller schedule that can back up to your brew house schedule. It can also go downstream to it's going to affect the warehouse because the warehouse may want that beer for their par levels. They may have an order coming in. So thinking about what if this happens, how long can it happen before it's going to affect other people and just planning that out, mapping that out as a contingency, who else needs to know and have I told them? And you know, that's how big of an issue or how long of an issue that might be the trigger of like, I need to go let the warehouse know. And then the warehouse needs to have its own reaction plan. Do they need to let sales know? You know, is that something that they, or is it, it hasn't gotten that point where I need to make them concerned about it, but there is a point where I need to let them know so they can communicate to our distribution partners that XYZ isn't going to happen. We're moving upstream. I often think about the, you know, if you have to cut beers off of a week, you know, you know, brews off the week, let's say you have four brews remaining. 
Well, it's very easy to say, well, I'm going to do that first one, that second one, and I'm going to drop the last two because that's just the way the schedule's written. But if you think about what the sales team needs, think of the Breath of Brewery as an integrated environment. In terms of what they actually need, they may need that stout that you had planned as the last beer of the week. That might be the thing they actually need. They're good on pale ales, or at least they can survive losing one for a week. But that stout may be queued up for a festival. And if they lose it that week, they may miss it, that release, for when it needs to go to distribution. So paying attention to how problems cascade up and downstream. So that's kind of reaction plans and corrective actions. That's on the you know kind of direct level. The other piece that I look at is quality holds versus quarantines. Um, they're very related, but I look at them a little bit differently. So with a hold, what you're doing is you're stalling for enough time to make an informed decision. So whether that's you know, if you're looking at diacetyl, if it fails its diacetyl test, we're obviously not just throwing the beer away. We just need to wait an extra day or two. That's a hold. That's giving yourself time, uh, waiting for ABV measurements or uh, microbial sensory. If you're doing a true to brand evaluation, if there's, you know, your panel is split, you may go grab more people and redo the panel. Uh, a quarantine, there you're it's not about that specific batch because that batch will move forward if and when it passes your criteria. A quarantine is protecting the system by isolating potential issues. So if you think about fermentation, if I have a yeast strain or a yeast generation, I'm starting to see slow diacetyl reduction. Each individual beer may pass and those will go through packaging. But I will quarantine as, you know, as a manager, I want to quarantine that yeast or at very least start triggering, hey, we need to accelerate getting new yeast on stream to avoid this because this is eventually it's going to catch us. It's going to be so delayed, it's going to trigger a reaction plan because I can't release it to packaging. So I'm quarantining the yeast. Another example is, you know, a can seamer. So if you're doing first can, last can, and you discover that last can has a seamer issue, well, you have no visibility anywhere between first and last. If you were doing them, say, every two pallets or every three pallets, and pallet three was good, but pallet five wasn't, well, pallet three I'm good with. And I can quarantine just what I need. I can set that to the side. And then later, I can go in and examine in a little bit more detail those quarantined. Now, that some of it may get released, but I'm allowing the system to be stable and safe moving forward, as opposed to who knows. I just don't know. So writing that in advance is huge and that's size independent you don't need size to know how much time am i willing to spend hunting for an issue because that's going to you know your your throughput is going to decide what your sample frequency is coming up go through the exercise of saying batch 3410 i want to know where that went 
I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Western New York meets at Ithaca Beer March 5th. The District Midwest Spring Meeting is at Mad Tree Brewing March 10th. Districts Michigan and St. Louis both meet March 15th. The 2018 Eastern Technical Conference is March 23rd and 24th in Atlantic City. The D-System Keg Valves Safety and QA webinar is March 27th. District Texas meets in Shreveport, Louisiana, April 6th through the 8th. The third annual District Southeast Crawfish Boil is April 7th. I went last year and it was a ton of fun. The Master Brewers Board of Governors meets April 12th. District Carolinas meets at Holy City April 14th. The Master Brewers Brewery Packaging Course starts April 15th in Madison. And the 57th District Caribbean Convention is April 19th through the 22nd in St. Lucia. View the full count of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. The only thing worse than finding yourself in a crisis is finding yourself in a crisis without a plan. We're hearing about more and more beer recalls each week, so some breweries are getting plenty of real-life practice. But how can we all prepare for the worst? So preparing in advance. And and I think it's also valuable to have two different mindsets. You know, a recall is a human safety issue uh, or a regulatory compliance issue. So if a beer is out of ABV spec, you're going to recall it. If a beer, you know, there's glass fragments in a bottle or something going wrong there, that's a recall. Recovery is a different thing. The technique is the same, but that's if you have a flavor or stability issue and you want that beer out of the market to protect your reputation, that's a recovery. And I think it's important just to be mindful of that difference in nomenclature. It's a big deal for the retail and distributor world. Um, Recall is a terrifying phrase for them because it's legal liability. Uh, but in terms of how we're going to prepare for it, batch tracking, you know, people need to pay attention to what does the batch tracking say on that actual package? Can you go find it? Uh, spending a little bit of time in, in advance of what's your communication? How are you going to communicate? And if nothing else, who can talk about it? Inventory management is a piece. If you're going to pull beer out of the market for whatever reason, you need to replace that. And at least having some mindset in your plan internally and that you've discussed with your distributors of how you're going to do it. Uh, Where is that beer going to go? And that they don't feel like they're getting uh, being treated like the the last, uh, last person to know anything. And then practice them. I think internally, a contingency plan like this, you want to do that internally, at least annually. You know, go through the exercise of saying batch 3410, I want to know where that went. We're going to pretend that we're pulling it from the market. Where did it go and when? And who do we need to talk to? How are we going to put a communications plan out of, hey, this is, you know, you may not need to. You may not need to tell anybody about it, uh, but if you do, practicing that goes a long way. Uh, and then your just trusted distributors, you know, work with someone who's you have a good relationship with, 
to actually practice your internal plan and do a mock recovery. You know, do it with them sitting around a room and go through the steps. Treat that as a, you know, a sand table exercise is what you think is relevant. They may say, yeah, I can't get that information for you or that's not the right timeline. You know, I need more time or you need to tell me about this sooner. It's just identifying the flaws in the plan and how this would actually propagate out if you ever had to pull the trigger on doing one of these recoveries or recalls. So as we started off uh, talking, quality really comes down to decision-making. What are some key points that should be proactively built into that decision-making process? So laying out in advance, because when you have a crisis, that is not the time to find when you don't have a plan. Um, So laying it out, figure out how you're going to empower your employees to actually make decisions, um, creating accountability, knowing what they can and can't do at the operator level and when they need to bump it up. Uh, the c- more clear that is, the smoother all of this is going to flow. And then establish who has the final word. I mean, it is a business. It is going to be someone's call to make. Knowing who that is so that you don't have the incredibly corrosive, you know, when you think about specifications and treating them as rules, one of the most corrosive things that you can do in a quality program is have a rule that you break. And because if you keep breaking it, people get, they're not dumb. They will read between the lines and eventually it's going to get where an operator sees a number or sees, you know, something that they know is not correct. But if their internal reaction is, well, we just cleared all the time. And then, then you don't even know about it because they just cleared it on their own volition. And you don't know that this is building into the system that, that will end a quality program really quickly. So having people understand what they can and can't do and then sticking to your guns. And that's why setting specifications, is that really what matters to you in terms of what is can go to market versus what can't? Have that reflect who you see yourself as a brewery and what your priorities are for being in the market. I think another piece that's important with this is you get to avoid conflicts of interest. You know, it's that is a human reaction. We, we, we want to protect our own. We want to do certain things. Uh, by having this planned out in advance, it helps to avoid, doesn't eliminate, but it helps avoid conflicts of interest. And then kind of what I've always called answer shopping. Uh, you know, I, I think parents get this a lot. If you know that mom's going to say no, you go to dad when he's distracted. Uh, you know, going, you want to avoid that. That's that accountability, that structure of, hey, this is happening. This is the reaction plan. This is the hold plan. This is how we do quarantines. And it's clearly communicated. It's clearly laid out. Um, you can start to figure that out. And it may grow with you. You know, static. We live in a uh, dynamic environment. It shouldn't be static. But having a plan and then changing it if it doesn't suit your needs That's better than having no plans and just saying, like, we're going to fly by the seat of our pants. Okay, great. I want to definitely talk about, you know, changing the plan because none of this is something that you just work through once and then you're done. Absolutely. Unlike the Constitution, brewery processes and their SOP should be living documents. Conditions are changing rapidly in this industry. So 
a brewery's goals and risks might be very different next year from this year. How do you deal with that? I address it with, again, risk assessment and communication. Uh, I look at, I would want, you know, pay attention to what your goals and your direction are and those upcoming changes that can affect priorities, address those in advance. It's really important whether it is a packaging manager or brew house manager or quality manager, if they don't know what's going to be happening from a sales direction standpoint, they don't need to know all the details, but it's it's really hard to find out, oh, we're going to go to a new market where our beer's not going to be gone in three months. We need a nine-month shelf life. Well, you might have made different equipment decisions at a conference or a trade show. Uh, so knowing where new markets, new product lines, or just sales environment changes, knowing what those are in advance and giving your operations team enough time to make those changes on the process so that by the time you're ready to roll that out, you've already covered the process and quality aspects. Um, And with that comes resources and budgeting. Resources are always going to be scarce. You got to budget for this stuff, Um, whether that's a capital expense, whether that's labor, you need more people, or you need specific skill sets. You know, that's when you may decide we need a dedicated microbiologist um, or how you're going to send people to master brewers classes or to a conference or to the you know brewing summit in San Diego. Budgeting for that is a thing because um, you know money can be fungible, but you have to have it in the first place. And then periodically going through like are when you look at your spending, are you addressing your actual priorities or and you know, th- I s- this can happen where people get hung up on something that they're personally, p- personal pet peeve, for example, but it's not the brewery priority. And if you kind of miss where attention and money is going, you can be solving a legitimate thing, but it's not the biggest thing right now. And that's not the best use of resources. Um, so doing a, a risk assessment when we're bringing in new equipment how is this going to affect the process? How is it going to, uh, you know, is it the right equipment? Having some of the quality pieces when you're going out shopping as opposed to it's just the right price. If it's the right price, but the, it can't meet your specs, it's going to be the wrong purchase choice. Um, yeah, and that's so change. important to think about in the, you know, from a HACCP standpoint too, because there's so many oh, breweries yeah. bringing new equipment in all the time. You really have to at least ask yourself, you know, are there any risks here that, you know, that could really make someone, is there any way I can make someone sick or kill them, you know, by this process change I've just made? That's a important, doesn't, it doesn't seem obvious, but that's something that everybody needs to ask themselves. And I think having just a quick checklist, because I would put new, new ingredients on there, uh, as you said, if you have just a quick checklist of quality hazard analysis and risk assessment as you go through, whether it's new equipment, new technique, or new ingredients, it's how is that going to affect? And that's when you're going to notice as you're putting together a new recipe, hey, this is an allergen, we're going to have to declare it, or at the very least, we need to be, well, number one, you would be declaring it, but also how does that propagate through? How are we going to store it? You know, is it sitting above your hop bin? And you could have cross-contamination. Being mindful, you can't fix problems you're not aware of. So it's go through the steps of making yourself aware 
of how this can go wrong and how it can have unintended consequences. All right, very good. I know you probably want to talk about feedback mechanisms, so I'll, I'll let you do that. Absolutely. So I think you know there's key performance indicators, and those are going to be different for for everybody. But it's just looking at you know what is it you want to track over time to get a sense of whether the you know efforts you're making are yielding the results you want, um, and I think another good feedback mechanism is i know it's annoying to listen to at times but consumer complaints paying attention to those consumers do quality tests on every single package we don't i mean if we opened every single can we wouldn't have ever anything to sell but they do and sometimes you don't get a whole lot of detail but it's it's valuable to listen to it and think about what they're saying are there trends there because they may notice things that you're not, or they may notice it before you, that you do, because it's just happening infrequently, and it's missing your sample frequency. So paying attention to that, and a big part of that is if you don't have batch information, you have no visibility. Suddenly, it's all of your pale ale as opposed to this batch number or this packaging date. So give yourself the ability to have some uh, visibility into exactly what's happening. Um, I also encourage people, sales and distribution, you know, they're the people out at the tip of the spear. They're going to talk to far more customers and they can really, if they're trained well, if they know what to look for and what questions to ask, they can start to pick out trends, um, that are happening actually out in the market. And again, that mindset of what's happening out in the market, we don't sell lab reports. We're selling actual beer. So always put things in the context of sales and don't get into that kind of stovepipe or get in a silo of, I have these lab measurements that are happening inside my brewery and that's that. Everything we're measuring inside the brewery, the objective is influence what's happening in the market. So pay attention to how that's actually uh, revealing itself in the market. I think one other thing, John, that I think people overlook as a, as a feedback, maintenance programs, poorly maintained equipment performs poorly. And that's just a fact. So get staying on top of that and if you start seeing that there are maintenance issues with a particular piece of equipment that is a trigger whether you've noticed anything in your lab testing to date or especially if you're a small brewery that may not have a lot of lab equipment you're going to notice when something's breaking down and if it's breaking down it probably wasn't performing at the quality level you were looking for um so being mindful, the smoother your system runs, the more likely it is that it's also operating at the quality level you were looking for. And having staff training that people can pick that out and be aware of it, I think it's always, it is valuable to invest in your employees. You know, they are, they're assets. So invest in them to understand what it is that they're doing. You know, I think back to like the old days, predates my career, but you know, in the old days of having a thermometer where the brewmaster, crusty old brewmaster would file off every mark except two, 
and say, your job is to hit that one on this and this one on that. And no one understands what they're doing. You know, that's one of the things that the Master Brewers Association was founded to deal with is to be educators as opposed to tyrants. So having people understand what they're doing goes a long way, especially I think of, you know, small breweries that uh, are using a Zomnagel shaker or something like that doing carbonation. The better you understand how equilibrium works in a fermenter, the faster you can understand why you're still there 10 hours after you started. That was Gary Nicholas here on the Master Brewers podcast. We put together this episode based on listener request. If there's a topic you want to hear on the show, do what Aaron at Diamond Knot Craft Brewing did and suggest that topic at community.mbaa.com. As you all know, Master Brewers is a nonprofit organization. You probably also realize that it's expensive to produce shows like the Master Brewers podcast every week. If you're a vendor, please consider sponsoring the Master Brewers podcast. It'll cost you less than you probably spent to sponsor that last district meeting, and your message will reach the thousands of brewers who tune in each week. Click contact from masterbrewerspodcast.com to learn more.